This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 382. Hi, everyone. This is Daniel Pink, author of To Sell as Human, and you're about to enjoy another fascinating episode of the Read to Lead podcast with my friend, Jeff Brown. Looking for guidance on discovering what interests you, how to communicate your unique gifts to others, or networking the right way, identifying your leadership style, and crafting a powerful message. We'll be covering this and more today on the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. My name is Jeff Brown. I'm your host, and I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. The idea behind the podcast is to serve up to you each and every week the key insights and main ideas from the book we're digging into. And that book today is called Develop, Seven Practical Tools to Take Charge of Your Career, and it's written by Ted Fleming. I'll be asking Ted to share why he believes most people don't take a systematic approach to their career development, what the seven tools in his book's subtitle are designed to do, his two-factor theory of job satisfaction that says it's possible to love and hate your job at the same time, and lots more. If you happen to be enjoying this on the day it releases, August 3rd, 2021, I'm exactly one month away, four weeks away from the launch of my own book, Read to Lead, The Simple Habit That Expands Your Influence and Boosts Your Career. I've spent the last week building a launch team made up of listeners just like you. And a part of that process was filling out a brief application. And one of the questions on that application was, why do you want to be a part of the launch team? The answers uh, varied widely, but they were all so incredibly encouraging. I thought I'd just share a few of them with you real quick. One says, I've been a fan of Jess for years and would support anything that he's doing. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate that. I want to give of my time as an exchange for the time he offered me during a mentoring session some time ago. Also, I'm a firm believer in the power of avid reading and lifelong learning. I can't wait to read the book. Here's another one. Selfishly, I want to be one of the first to read Jeff's book. Another person says, the Read to Lead podcast has changed my life. Before listening to the podcast, I read no more than 20 books in my lifetime. But after listening to Read to Lead, I read over 80 books a year. I now have a passion for reading, and I would like to help spread that passion to other people. This one says, I have loved Read to Lead from episode one, and I've loved watching your book writing journey over the last year on social media. It seems a natural fit for the host of the Read to Lead podcast who have written a book. So let's get it out there. (laughs) I love that. Thank you so much. Just a couple of more. The Read to Lead podcast has been a tremendous source of helpful information and inspiration for me over the past four years. I would like to help promote Jeff, the podcast, and the book so that others can benefit as well. Awesome. This sounds like an important book. I stress to my students frequently the importance of lifelong learning and how reading is critical to sustained growth and achievement. As for me, this book will be preaching to the choir. And that brings up a good point that there's something for everyone. Part one of this book is making the argument for why this needs to be a habit. And if you're already convinced of that, then you can go right to part two, where we help you discern what you need to read based on where you are in your career, how to develop a reading plan. And then part three digs into how to make the most of what you're reading, how to put what you're reading into action, how to retain and better comprehend what you're reading, as well as how to read more in less time. All those things and more in the new book, Read to Lead. And you can find out more about it at readtoleadbook.com. There for a little while longer, you can get 40% off the book. 
And when you order it now, before August 31st, you'll also receive $500 in additional resources. So the book at 40% off when you order it through Baker Books, our publisher, and $500 in additional resources. Just go to readtoleadbook.com to find out all about it right now. Ted Fleming is the head of talent development for a Fortune 10 company with more than 300,000 employees. His responsibilities include learning and career development for all employees, executive development, and providing business consulting solutions. Ted's got more than 30 years of experience in the healthcare, financial services, and education industries as a strategic planner, consultant, business owner, and general manager. And he speaks extensively on topics including managing your career, executive presence, driving business results, leadership, creativity, and innovation. His new book, and the one we're digging into today, is called Develop, Seven Practical Tools to Take Charge of Your Career. It's one I highly recommend. And Ted, it's my privilege to welcome you officially to Read to Lead. Thank you. Pleasure to be here, Jeff. Well, the thing I wanted to start off with, and you addressed this early on in the book, I think in the introduction, uh, is answering this question of why you decided to write it in the first place. That's right. Uh, For me, it really was about helping people find their right job or grow in their existing job. I just saw over the years the frustrations people had when they were trying to navigate their career. And that's something that I had done personally and helped others do. So I I was excited to write the book. A very rewarding career, it sounds like. Yes, I've had a uh, I've had a good run, as they say. And you know, personally, people would just connect with me and say, "How did you make that transition? Or how did you get this promotion?" So I found this was a great way. If I uh, thought about it uh, more systematically and write it down, I could share it with others. Mm-hmm. By the way, I just learned something new about Ted before we officially jumped in. If you managed to connect with him online after this, be sure and congratulate him on his recent 35th wedding anniversary. Wow, that's that's incredible. Congratulations on that. Thank you. That's fun. Yeah, Catherine's been a great partner and everyone needs a great partner. Indeed, indeed. Well, Ted, why is it do you think most people don't take a systematic approach to career development. And and I certainly identify with this because I was one of those people for a good 20 years. Yeah, I think for a few reasons. One, I think, is just simple knowledge, right? So it's Mm -hmm. like, how do I do that? You know, a lot of times people choose careers because they see it modeled in their parents or friends Mm -hmm. or people they went to school with. So I think that's one reason. Another is you're dealing with people's emotions. It's very personal, you know, the job and you feel evaluated by uh, employers and people picking you through an interview process. So I think a lot of people just have problems dealing with emotions and the emotions related to career development. One of my favorite stories early in the book is when uh, when Ted approaches or is asked to come to see the CEO, I believe it was, yeah. and tasked with this uh, job of creating a corporate uh, internal university. And your question, Ted, was, well, how much time do I have? Uh, a year, two? What was the answer? And, and, and then how did you respond? <laughs> The answer was, you have 90 days. And then I said, oh, do I get millions of dollars? You're like, no, 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 no. So, uh, so uh, yeah. And, you know, how I approach that, which is great for, for your topic, Jeff, is the first thing I did 
is I called my wife and I said, I think that they just asked me to start something new from scratch. And I went to my local uh, Barnes and Noble Mm. and I bought two books and I read them over the weekend on (laughs) how to start (laughs) a corporate university. Mm. And so that's actually how I started. So reading for me has always been sort of a good way of grounding myself and learning from experts. No, No reason to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, if somebody else has already solved your problem, well, first of all, chances are somebody has solved your problem. Yes. And it, most times they've written about it in a book. So that's all, yeah, a great place to to start. Well, I mentioned the subtitle, of course, the, the practical tools. There are seven to take charge of your career. Before we dig into those, what are those tools in tandem designed to do ultimately? Well, what I found is yeah, even though there's seven tools, what I found is three common challenges mm. that people face when they're trying to find their right job or grow in their existing role. And so the, the seven tools are meant to address those three common challenges collectively. The first is really the frustration people feel for not knowing what they want to do. Right. So Mm. the tools are designed to take you from being frustrated to excited about the possibilities. The second is we can come off very stiff and very anxious to share our value with others. And so another set of tools is how can you communicate your value confidently and effectively. And then the third is we're reluctant to engage with other people, which we know in the research shows is the best way to find opportunity, job, be on a special project. So the, th- the other tools are set to help you activate your network so you can use all the people you know to help you find what you want. Hey, that last thing you said, to help you find what you want, that kind of leads to my next question. I think it's a popular Zig Ziglar quote. In fact, I know it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll get everything you want in life when you help enough other people get what they want, I think is the gist of the, of the quote. I know you're a Ziglar uh, oh, student yeah. and fan. Uh, and a quote from you that caught my attention early on is this. I continue to be amazed by the number of people who never think about what others want. Uh, in your line of work, you've seen this many times. Can you expound on that a bit? Yes, I think what happens is, you know, there's there's part of finding your job. Here's the way I explain it to people. You're not in the room when they actually decide to give you a job. You're not in the room when they decide to give you that raise or promotion. And so because of that, because you don't see that, you often only think about yourself. Well, here's what I want. Here's what I need. And so to really connect with people, speaking of Zig Ziglar and folks like that, you've got to pause and think about what others want. What is the employer perspective? So often when I'm advising people, I find that the I say, you've only thought about half of the problem. The other half is, what does your employer want? What value are they looking for? What type of people do they want to work with? And once you understand both of those, mm. then you can find a better match. Yeah, well said. Uh, there's uh, a great story in the first chapter on sharpening your own perspective about why we should score every day looking back as a 10. Uh, can you share a bit about that story and, and what, what it taught you, what you, what you learned from it? 
Yeah, this was at a time when I uh, owned my own business. And, you know, when you own your own business, you worry every day, you know, where, where, where's the revenue coming from? Am I, am I making the right efforts and making the right connections so that I can build a sustainable business? And I was in a group with other entrepreneurs. We were asked to put together this journal. So every day you'd write, how did the day go? And then you'd rate it. You know, a 10 being this is a great day. All my dreams came true mm. to a one. It was a miserable day. And so I was scoring. And, you know, some days I wrote as 10, some days two, whatever. Then I get a big client and that day was a 10. <laughs> and I remember the facilitator saying to me, OK, was that really a 10? Uh, did, did you? Uh, did you get that client just today? And it's like, well, no, I've met with them several times. Well, go back to those days that you first met. What did you rate those days? And I was like, oh, yeah, I rated that day a two or that day a four. Mm -hmm. And he said, the reality is you would have never had that 10 day if you didn't have that two day. Mm -hmm. So in reality, that old day wasn't a two and that day wasn't a four. All your days are tens. And so you just have to recognize that. And that 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 really opened my eyes. Even the days that don't seem uh, memorable in retrospect compound to create these days that that are memorable, right? That's that's right. And so if you could just come to it with that positive emotion, know that you're putting in the effort, uh, you'll find that most of your days in retrospect were tense. Hmm. Now, I have asked Ted about half a dozen questions at this point. And the amazing thing is we're just getting out of chapter one. <laughs> that's, that's, that's as far as we've gotten. And, and what, I'm, what I mean by that is there is a lot of great value and information packed in this book. In fact, I think my dozen or so questions never go beyond chapter two. So you're going to want to pick up this book and, and dive into it uh, ever deeper. I love learning about the two-factor theory of job satisfaction, Ted, that it's possible to love and hate your job at the same time. What, what's that about? Yes. So that's from uh, Hertzberg for, for those psychologists. But, you know, to put it in plain language, don't think of satisfaction as one scale. Think of it as mm -hmm. having a couple of components. Number one is what are your must-have needs? And often those must-have needs mean you have to have a base amount of salary, right? So you can pay mm -hmm. your bills. A lot of people want a certain level of job security or benefits. So it's like, what are the must have needs? And what I define that as if the job or the role doesn't meet all of those needs, it's not going to be a good role for you. Mm. So that's one half. The other half or dimension is the motivating factors. Now, you don't need all your motivating factors, but the concept is if I have a great boss, I'm going to love this job. If it's a job that allows, affords me a lot of autonomy and creativity, I'm going to love this job. And so you're looking for that combination of all my must-haves, with your motivating factors. But as you know, Jeff, there are a number of people that love and hate their job at the same time. They mm -hmm. love what they're doing, but it doesn't pay the bills. And conversely, there are people that get paid a lot of money, but they're miserable going to work every day. And I don't want either of those scenarios. Mm -hmm. Designing your bridge is the topic of, of the second chapter. Uh, I kind of want to ask you a sort of a broad question. And I think you've, you've 
you've hinted at some of this. What's involved in the process of building a bridge or designing, I should say, designing your bridge, building a bridge is another chapter. Designing your bridge. Is this where we're getting into really thinking about what other people want? Is that part of that process? It absolutely is. The, you know, so once you do your homework and you know what you're looking for, now you find out. So if that's on one side, that's why I use that bridge analogy. That's one side of the bridge. The other side is what do the employers want? What are their needs and wants? And then your goal is to build that bridge to say, hey, what I'm interested in and the value I can bring will help you achieve your goals. And here's how. And the here's how and the here's why are, you know, the parts of the bridge itself. So that's that's what I mean. And what complicates this over time is the longer we're in a role, the more we speak in jargon. And the more we speak in the jargon and the, you know, the shorthand of our particular industry, the less people can see the bridge, the less people can see how you can go from one side to another. So a lot about building the bridge and designing and building that bridge is making it easy and in plain language for people to understand how you can help them. I believe it's also this chapter where you talk about the star method as it relates to to interviewing. So I haven't had to do an interview for a job in a long time, having worked mm-hmm. for myself and the job I had before that I had for 13 years or so. So it's been a while since I've gone through that process. And I never consider myself very good at it, but I loved your STAR method that you recommend when in an interview and, and responding to questions. Do you mind sort of sharing a bit about that? No, no, this is great. And the STAR method is a common method that's been around for a long time. So it's just Mm. kind of reminding people a lot of HR professionals know about it. But the STAR Mm. method uh, and the the letters stand for things. So the STAR method, S-T-A-R, stands for situation, task, action, and result. If you find that you're nervous during interviews or people are trying to to, uh, rigorously prepare for interviews, what I tell them is you only need the STAR method, which is no matter what question they ask you, they'll ask you either give me a situation, tell me about a time when you task, uh, how did you do this actions, or what's what is an a share an accomplishment, you know, a result. And so the idea is wherever people ask you something, you start at that letter and you just fill in the rest. And so that's what you have to do. And that will allow you also to be more concise. It's like, here's the situation, here's the task I was given, here are the actions I took, and here are the results. And you should be able to do that in 90 seconds to three minutes. What are some of the more common mistakes that you see interviewers make? Is it talking too long and not being concise? Is that one of them? Are there, are there other things? Yes, there, there's definitely talking too long. But I'd say the main thing, we, you hear it all the time, but a lot, of pe- a lot of times people don't relate to it. When we say, be yourself right? How often have you heard that? Be your authentic self. So that's one thing. The second is try to make it conversational. Have some questions. Often people don't have any questions of people or for people. And you're trying to make that connection. I tell people there's four conditions that have to be met for people to hire you. They have to know you. 
They have to like you. They have to know your work and like your work. And so in the confines of an interview, which is very short, it's hard to get people to know and like you. They can look at your resume and, and know and like your work. So be relational. Share some stories. Share some personal sides. Understand about the other person and a little bit about them personally, and that'll help you out. Hmm. I, I, we mentioned designing your bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, what about building your bridge, the topic of chapter three? How, how does this process then evolve to that phase? So the building the bridge goes to decluttering and you know taking out the jargon. So what I say is write your write down an accomplishment, and then once you have that accomplishment, identify the transferable skills, right? Because those are the universal skills that can apply to several different situations. So for example, in the book I say, let's say you're a salesperson. If you're a salesperson, you might be good at problem solving. You might be good at negotiation, right? You might be great at communication. That's what you highlight and that's what actually constructs the bridge. It's like, no, okay, you may not be looking for... You don't think you're looking for a salesperson, but you're looking for someone that's good at negotiation, good at problem solving, right? Good at communications, good at understanding people's needs. I have all those skills. Therefore, I can do whatever job it is that you were looking for. Hmm. What advice do you tend to give, uh, Ted, with regard to networking or or forging, I think as you put it in the book, strong connections? Hmm. Yeah, for networking, what I get people to see using my networking quadrant is there's different types of networking. The reason we dislike networking so much is we think of it as, I don't know you, you don't know me, and we're going to try to pretend we have this relationship. (laughs) That is one of the quadrants, (laughs) you know, but we don't like that. Mm. Start with peers, people you work with, people that know your work really well, but they may not know you as well. And in that quadrant, you just want them to get to know you as a person. Then they're clients, people that you've worked with really well. And so for those folks, you just tell them what you're interested in. And then there's our social networks. These are people that love us. They do anything for us, mm-hmm. right? They're people in your at your church, people you went to school with, whatever it is. They'd love to help you, but you didn't bother to ever tell them how they can help you. Mm. So by activating your network and thinking about the different types of networking, you can activate your network and allow people to help you. I said earlier that my questions never went beyond uh, chapter two. I lied. I just snuck in a question about chapter three and four. You did. And Ted didn't miss a step. Uh, I have a couple of questions I want to ask you, Ted, not directly related to the book. But before I do that, I, I want to give you a chance to maybe uh, expound on anything from the book that I didn't ask that you want to make sure people know. I guess what I would say is a couple of things. One is you're going to build an image over time and or some people call it your personal brand i'm sure you've spoken with people to talk about that mm-hmm. so you want to consciously create that so that's that's one thing the second thing i would say on the leadership chapter is you don't have to be all things to all people think of leadership as a team sport and you want people with you that complement your leadership style 
And then finally, I'll leave you with, you're going to develop your own success formula. What has worked for me in the past and use that in the future? So I'd say that's what I would share. Mm. Well, as someone who was uh, responsible for creating in 90 days a a corporate university, I would have to believe that somewhere along the way since then, you are someone who encourages a reading culture among uh, staff. And I would imagine you're probably, I'm going out on a limb here, uh, uh, maybe a voracious reader, even yourself. Uh, With that assumption, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'd love to know a bit about your insight into your history with reading and the impact books have had on your life. How has the habit of, say, reading intentionally and and consistently, would you say, Ted, impacted your success? Well, you know, that's why I love uh, being invited on your show, Jeff. I love reading. And I do want to share uh, something personal. I mean, I suffer from dyslexia. Mm. And when I was uh, younger, I did not like reading. In high school, I would get the big books, the large print books, just to kind of get through. Mm. So I wouldn't be so tired and I was very slow. But over time, I just learned to love reading because you learn so much. It transports you to wherever you want to go. Like I said before, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And what I find is it has always given me a competitive advantage. Mm. It has uh, allowed me to understand and bring in innovation from different industries, different people. And I find that that also helps with my networking. What better compliment than, hey, I just read your book and I have a few questions. People have invited me in and shared a lot of their secrets because of it. And so I've used reading to help me spiritually, financially, career-wise. It's been great. What was that quote from your book, uh, the thing people used to say when they would catch you reading? There, there is reading again or something that's like that. Right. <laughs> that's right. That's true. And that is in the book. I did have people go by and there is reading, doing nothing, must not have enough to do. And I'll tell you the other side of that story. When I tell my boss, it's like, you're about to hire a consultant and you're about to pay that consultant thousands of dollars. Mm. In a lot of cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I went to my local bookstore and for $25, I read the book that they had on that topic. And so that allows me to either do things myself and or ask better questions so that we can get the full value out of a consultant or a person's knowledge. So it always helps. Well, let's dig into a a couple of books that have impacted you. Maybe they change the course of your career even. Uh, What's a book or two that comes to mind when you think about those that have had a huge impact on you over the years? Yeah, for me, I I read tons of business books, but Mm -hmm. when I think of books that I go back to, and I say this in the leadership chapter, I really think guiding people on their leadership career is a spiritual journey. And I know in business, we don't often talk about that. So when I think of two books, I think of Awareness by Anthony DeMello, mm. who was a, a priest. And the other is The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. I, I love that book. It's very simple and straightforward. It's a great guide to me for leadership integrity. And in college, I studied the Tao Te Ching a lot. So for me, it's I get my images of leadership from a lot of these spiritual books. 
Uh, beyond the promotion of the book, uh, Ted, what's on the horizon for you and your team that, that's got you excited and that you're able to, to share about? Anything? Well, I think here, you know, I, I work for an organization that, um, you know, CVS Health, that has been on the forefront of the testing and now vaccinations, mm -hmm. uh, millions of people. And so what's on the forefront for, for me and my team is how do you help leaders lead during times of uncertainty? How do you help people lead when there's a global crisis? And so it's preparing leaders for a future that doesn't exist yet. How do you give people those tools? So I'm excited about uh, that. You know, I don't remember the book I read this from. It's been just a few months now. I need to need to figure out what book it was from. But CVS is mentioned as a case study. And the book talks about the bravery, I would call it, in the decision to go back to its mission about helping people maintain healthy lives. I'm paraphrasing. Here. And the decision to remove tobacco products from the shelves and, and the adverse impact that everybody knew that was going to have on the bottom line. But in the end, it, it kind of turned around. Can, can you speak to that at all? Are you able to uh, to talk about that? I can speak a little bit. That, our then CEO, Larry Merlot, in consultation with our chief medical officer and the leadership team at the time said, hey, they just asked themselves a simple question. We talked about this before. Is it incongruent to say that we, we want to be a premier healthcare organization but we're selling tobacco, that, that, that doesn't sound right. Mm. And so they were very courageous at the time, and they eliminated that. And as you rightly said, it cost billions of dollars in revenue. Mm. But what people found is how many new customers we, we got, how many people connected with the, that mission and sense of purpose and we were able to make up that revenue. So yeah, for, so I, I would say the lesson is even when it seems scary, if it's core to your values and it makes sense, go ahead and go ahead and take that challenge. Go ahead and take that leap. Mm, that's great. Well, Ted's book again is called Develop Seven Practical Tools to Take Charge of Your Career. We'll link to all his properties on the web so you can find him, his social media, in case you want to connect with him. I'm sure you'll want to. And be sure and pick up the book. Definitely worth your while. Ted, thank you so much for coming on the show. Appreciated having you. Thank you. I so enjoyed getting to know Ted. I hope you did as well. If you're thinking about picking this book up, I'll let you know that part two, which we didn't get to, includes a couple of chapters on uh, making transitions. In other words, moving from one industry to another and a chapter called Breaking Barriers, What Works for Women and People of Color. I, of course, have a link directly to his book on my website. That and more in the show notes at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 382 for episode 382. Will you consider pre-ordering my book at 40% off, making it just about $11 and change and allow me to share with you $500 in additional resources? Sounds like a good deal, right? Well, find out more about it at readtoleadbook.com. That 40% discount and the $500 in additional resources is available only to those who pre-order. And those resources, among other things, include a bonus chapter, not a part of the actual published book that I wrote and did not 
complete and time to be included in the book. Only people who pre-order the book will ever read that bonus chapter called Growing the Best Version of You, by the way. And you also get the audiobook for free when you pre-order the physical copy. One more time, it's readtoleadbook.com. That's it for this week. Next time on the show, Stephen M. R. Covey is here to talk about his number one Wall Street Journal bestselling book, The Speed of Trust. Hope to see you next time. But until then, remember, as always, leaders read and readers lead. Read. 